Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Give us for those announcements. We usually uh, seamlessly go right into our message, but I want to make sure everybody knows what's going on. If I were to ask you this morning, who is the greatest man who has ever lived? What would the answer be? Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus Christ would be our first answer, but I want to show you from God's word this morning that your answer is wrong. It really is. Is there anyone other than Jesus Christ? You see, in the 11th chapter of Matthew, we find one of the greatest commendations of all time. The text of the commendation is tremendous, but the the greatness of the passage is not found there in Matthew chapter 11. It's really found here in Matthew chapter number 3. And throughout history, flowery words of praise, they they have been offered to various individuals by men with, with differing motives. But what makes this passage so unique, simply this. It is uttered by one who cannot be accused of hyperbole or exaggeration. What I'm about to share with you on the screen behind me is that Jesus Christ can never be accused of error. These are the very words of Jesus Christ. Verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. May I just tell you that the Bible says that of all the men, all the women, all the boys, all the girls who's ever lived, ever walked earth, Jesus Christ said John the Baptist is the greatest. So there's something to be, uh, there's something for us to learn. And so in Matthew chapter 3, I have looked at this, dissected this, studied this chapter. I have tried to condense it into one message, and it's impossible. So I'm going to preach three messages out of Matthew chapter 3. As I said, we're flying through our studies uh, in, 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 uh, in the Word of God. But we're here in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look today uh, uh, at that messenger. Then we're going to look uh, uh, next week at the Messiah. And then after anniversary Sunday, we're going to look at the message. So there's so much to mine out of 17 verses that I'm going to t- spend three weeks Three messages looking at Matthew chapter 3. So that way you know where we are. Now you'll remember, uh, uh, if you've had any uh, study of the Word of God uh, around Christmas time, that John was the son of Elizabeth and Zacharias, who were much older, uh, and uh, and they were unable to have children. (laughs) An angel appeared to Zacharias, and and he said, "Uh, Zacharias, uh, you're going to have a son, and I want you to name him John. Zacharias, he did not believe that. Do you remember what happened to Zacharias and his unbelief? He couldn't do what? He couldn't speak for nine months. I, 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 sometimes I wonder if they got that backwards. Because a lot of us men, we don't speak a lot anyway. Did you know that women talk almost twice as much as men? They use... I heard a, a big yes, sir, on that. So 
women love to talk. God gifted you that way. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. God has gifted you that way. And for, for many of you, it is a gift. Uh, uh, the fact is, is that Zacharias, though, was unable to speak for the nine months uh, uh, of that and, and until the boy was born. And both Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were godly people. And the Bible indicates that they loved the Lord and their son, John. He was going to grow up with this mission in mind. And that it was that he was going to proclaim that there was a Savior coming. So look with me there in Matthew chapter 3. Now, please understand, I'm going to, in this first of three messages, we're going to lay a foundation. And so we're going to actually look at a number of verses to start this message. And then we're going to look at seven characteristics of the messenger, John, and we'll look at his life. But let's stand together, and uh, we're going to read the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 3 in a responsive reading. Uh, The verses are very short. It will only take us a minute or two. Um, But uh, I read the odd verses. You read the even verses. And Pastor Jonathan will help you there on the even verses. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. Verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around Jordan. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Father, would you take the words that we're about to preach, would you use them to encourage us, to challenge us? And Father, I pray that that today we might learn more about you, and that we might have the same opinion that you have, and that is, is that you have a son that is beloved, and that we might love Jesus the same way. Father, thank you for victory that we can have through Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Is this story really true? 
did John the Baptist really baptize Jesus? It, it was John the Baptist really the one who was the precursor, the one that was the foreteller about this man who is yet to come? Well, let me just use the Word of God to prove to you, and I hope that you believe the Word of God. I trust that you have the Word of God with you this morning, either in a, an actual Bible or on your phone, iPad, that you can follow along. Let me just say the prophets Isaiah and Malachi, they foretold his ministry many, many years before his birth. Isaiah said, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Then Malachi, a prophet who walked this earth many, many years before um, Zacharias and Elizabeth were ever even born, ever even thought of, he said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant uh, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi went on to write, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do you know that the Bible even says the angel Gabriel, when appearing to Zacharias in the temple, he reminded him of an important truth. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 1, many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now notice verse 17, and he shall go before him, in the same spirit and power of Elias or Elijah, which was prophesied back in Malachi. It's amazing. Upon John's birth, Zacharias, his father, filled with the spirit, now able to speak, uh, he announced in Luke chapter 1, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This was what John the Baptist was commissioned to do. Jesus even confirmed this in Luke chapter 7 in the identification of John the Baptist, agreeing with the prophet of Malachi. He said this, uh, speaking of the spirit of Elijah, Jesus said, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's courts. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Jesus, acknowledging an Old Testament prophecy, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Would you listen again to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 17? And Jesus charged them, and he said this, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias or Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke unto unto them of John the Baptist. John the Baptist truly is one of the most interesting men in the Bible, but he's also an excellent example for our life. Do you know that every one of us, we learn by example? If you follow, uh, if you follow what happens in a family, it's amazing the, the interactions of how uh, your children sit. Uh, they sit like mom and dad, and they've learned their behaviors from mom and dad. I'll never forget, I've shared this in my starting point class today, and by the way, if you're interested in membership in our church, uh, I'm in the midst of a starting point class that takes place the first and second Sunday of each month, and and we'd love to tell you about our church. Uh, When I was a young boy, I I learned my, my language, I learned my language from the example of my mom and dad. I still remember as a boy uh, the uh, very, very, very real, I can taste it in my mouth, and that is, is that when I would use the same language that my mom said, and then she was now suddenly a Christian, and I wasn't allowed to use the language that she taught me as a boy, that my mom would say, Brent, go to the bathroom. And I would go to the bathroom, and she said, stick out your tongue. And I would stick out my tongue. And then she would take a bar of ivory soap, and she would wash my tongue. Don't say that word again. And then it would slip out of my mouth and I would say it again. Brent, go to the bathroom. Stick out your tongue. I tell you what, the ivory soap gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't, I don't encourage you to buy ivory soap. Stay away from it. Um, but I learned, I learned from my parents' example of the words as a boy and then my mom and dad had to had to get it out of me because I was repeating the words that I learned from their example our children learn to eat like us so if you chew with your mouth open guess what your children do they chew with their mouth open if you chew with your mouth closed your children are taught to chew with their mouth closed because somewhere along the way you learned that we learn by example and so John the Baptist has a lot of things that we could learn from his example. I'm going to give you seven characteristics of the life of John the Baptist, and I want to ask you, are these characteristics in your life? John the Baptist, character trait number one that I see is John was a man of hardiness. John was a man of hardiness. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 1, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, He was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 4, we read that. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat or his food was locust and wild honey. He wore camel's hair and leather and ate locust and wild honey, and he lived in the desert. Why is that? John was a unique man. And uh, uh, he was unique in regard to his right of baptism, his message, his dress, his diet, his being in the wilderness. Let me just share with you why John the Baptist was such a, a man of hardiness. John, he was marked as the forerunner of the Messiah. John, he illustrated Israel's spiritual poverty and their future rejection of the Messiah. It was encompassed in the way he lived his life. John had one message. His message was simply this, repent. Repent. 
As prophesied, John was to be the messenger that would cry out in the wilderness. And people were looking for the coming of the Messiah. They were looking for a man such as John the Baptist. And those who were baptized identified themselves in a very definite way with John's peculiar message. John's clothing was very similar to that of the Old Testament prophet Elijah and was often referred or talked about interchangeably with Elijah. Uh, this only further identified him with those prophecies that preceded him. And like Elijah, John the Baptist, he was a rough outdoorsman uh, with a forthright message. I tell you what, he didn't, drink, he didn't drink tea and lattes with his finger up in the air. He was a man's man. Oh, that we could get back to some manly men. This effeminate stuff is driving me crazy. And may I just tell you, we need some manly men today like John the Baptist. We need some manly men like John the Baptist. Uh, uh, la th these ladies that are, are desperate for husbands, uh, they can't find a husband because we have a bunch of effeminate single men that walk around. Uh, uh, well, let me just stop right there. So let me just say... We need some manly men like John the Baptist that would be available for these beautiful single ladies in our church. John the Baptist, he ate the food of poor people. I don't think any of us are going to have a, uh, a meal of locusts today. But that was what the poor people ate. And uh, none of us are going to find a tree and see if there's bees flying in and out of it and stick our hand in it and so we can have uh, a handful of wild honey. John the Baptist, he did not represent the well-to-do. He represented the si simple people that just needed to hear about Jesus and that weren't completely dependent upon themselves. John was willing to endure whatever circumstance in order to fulfill God's will for his life. Must I be carried to the sea, to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? John was a hardy man. He was a man's man. But I want you to notice that character trait number two is that John was a man of honesty. John was a man of honesty. Oh, you may not be able to uh, say, I can go out in the desert and live on snakes and honey. You may not be able to say, I could go out and live off the land. I'm not quite that hardy. Uh, but you could still be a manly man. But all of us can be a man or woman of honesty. In Matthew chapter 3, we read that in verse 15. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered or allowed him. Uh, he did as Jesus told him. You understand that, that uh, he said, I, I, I don't want to baptize you, Jesus. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I, I, I can't do that. And Jesus said, yes, you will baptize me. And he, he, uh, he obeyed. And uh, I, I'm, I just ask you a question. Are you willing to do whatever Jesus asks, even if it doesn't make sense? John the Baptist baptized the God of heaven. Now, did Jesus need to be baptized? But it was a, he didn't. It was a great example of what repentance was all about. John the Baptist was an honest man. Character trait number three is that John was a man of humility. John was a man of humility. This tough man who, was, who, who had uh, suntans, weathered face, camel's hair outfit, stuck his hand in trees to, to pull out a handful of honey, 
This man who uh, th- this man who was a man's man, who was as honest as the day is long, was also a man of humility. Notice in verse number eleven, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. His humility is shown. He said, "Hey," he could have said like probably a lot of us, "Hey Jesus, you want me to baptize you? All right, wait a second, Jesus." Can you get a camera over there? Uh, can you take pictures of this? Make sure you get my good side while I'm baptizing Jesus. That would be the attitude of many Americans today as if Jesus asked us to baptize. Let's make sure we have a production crew that captures all this so you can see that I got to baptize Jesus. That wasn't John the Baptist. He was a man in humility. He says, listen, I, I can't do this. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals or to untie his sandals mark chapter 1 says and preach saying there cometh one mightier than i after me the latchet of whose shoes i am not worthy to stoop down and unloose and john chapter number one and this is the record of john when the jews sent priests and levites from jerusalem to ask him who art thou who are you and he confessed and denied not but confessed listen i am not the christ and they asked him, what then? Are thou Elijah? And he said, I am not. Art thou a prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That thou may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? In verse number 23, John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet Elijah, Uh, John told of his disciples, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist did not try in any manner to take the place of Jesus. He knew he was not worthy. And too many pastors and Christians and leaders and volunteers in the local church are more interested in drawing attention to themselves than reflecting Christ. May I say that's an indictment on us. And it says that we're not very humble And that humility is not a part of us. We should learn from the example of John who followed the admonition of the wise man. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. Jesus, he spoke highly of John the Baptist. Thus the title of the message. The greatest man who ever lived, you said, was Jesus. But Jesus said the greatest man who ever lived was John the Baptist. I think that's a pretty good commendation. I think that's a pretty good testimony. I wonder this morning, myself included, would Jesus ever look at us and say, man, I'm glad you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are one of the greatest people that I've ever placed on planet Earth. Jesus spoke highly of John the Baptist. Let me give you character trait number four. John was a man of holiness. Oh, man, there's a word that we don't preach on very much, we don't talk about very much, and is this word holiness. John was a man of holiness. We read uh, that uh, about John in, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, but listen to Mark chapter 6. For Herod feared John. Now, this verse is up here on the screen. I want to keep this verse up here for just a moment. I want to break down this verse. So why in the world would the king, the mightiest man, The man who at a snap of his fingers could have the head of John the Baptist. Why would this man say this? Notice what the Word of God says. For Herod feared John 
Why? The verse answers the why. Knowing that he was a just man and a holy man. John was a man of holiness. And even Herod knew that John lived a righteous life. Let's look at that verse again. And that phrase says this. Herod feared John. Does anyone fear your faith? Because of the way you live. John lived with such a just man. John lived such a holy life. John lived such a righteous life that the king feared him. You see, the fact that a person lives a holy life means this. They have a real connection with God. And that means that that person who has that connection with God can talk to God about you. And can talk to God about circumstances. And can talk to God about life. You know what? I want, I want some holy people in our church that when we have needs can pray and touch the ear of God. We need holy people in our church. Uh, it would be great if all of us were. But the fact is, is God is looking for holy people and he found it in John. Are you holy? John was a man of holiness. Character trait number five, John was a man of hustle, hard work. John was a man of hustle. He was a hard-working man. The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 35, he was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. John was active in the Lord's service, and someone has stated ten potential workers are of less worth than one plotting worker. John was a worker. The road to nowhere lies along the path of by and by, someone has said. John was a hard worker. What was his work? His work was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And in that, he had to live in the desert. He had to eat locusts. He had to eat uh, wild honey. He was not a man of any type of wealth. He was, a, he was the poor man's preacher. He was a man that was willing to work hard. Oh, that we would have some people willing to work hard. May I just tell you that we should not in any manner try to live off of the government. Now, I realize there are circumstances where we must have a little bit of help, but I'm just saying that it should not be because we are lazy. It should only be because it is a desperate situation. Folks, we need some hard-working Christians that will be an example to this lost and dying world. And many times we as Christians, we are content to be at the mercy of someone else and the generosity of our government, and we are content to live that way. Let me just tell you, John didn't live uh, uh, under the mercy and the handouts of, of the Roman government. And folks, uh, I just want to say we need some hardworking people that will hustle and work hard. But the reason we do that is because we're Christians. We're supposed to be Jesus with skin on. We're supposed to be an example to a lost and dying world. And so there is something wrong with a lazy Christian. And I don't expect a lot of amens there. Because nobody wants to think that they're lazy. But the fact is, is the Lord is using hardworking people, not lazy people. Hey, listen, I'm just sitting here, Pastor Armstrong. I'm waiting for God to tell me what he wants me to do. While you serve in nothing. And you sit. And I just tell you, God's looking for people. Every time I open my Bible and I do a study on hard work and, what, and how the God uh, determines will and shows people his will, every example, every example in the Word of God, someone was busy doing the work of the Lord and then the Lord came to him. 
Every example. You will not find in all of this Bible, in all of your Bible, you will not find someone that's just sitting on their hands and, and feet, being lazy, doing absolutely nothing. God comes to him in a vision. God comes to him in a dream. God uh, uses his word and tells him, I want you to go do something. Not one time in all of the word of God does God say, hey, well, I know you're, not, you're lazy and you're not doing anything. Here's what I want you to do. God finds busy people to do his work. I'm wondering if you are a hard-working person for the Lord and in this church. Are you a hard-working person? John was a man of hustle. Character trait number six, John was a man of heroism. John was a man of heroism. Now, today we, uh, we talk about our heroes. They're the military, and thank God for all of those who serve in the military right here in our own church. Davis Monthan Air Force Base, Fort Huachuca, uh, uh, two local institutions right here. We have men and women serving in the armed forces from both of those locations. Thank you so much for serving. In our own church, we have uh, Border Patrol agents that, that uh, 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 try to keep our border secure. Their hands are tied behind their back, and so they watch the people come in and give them food and water as they come in. It's, a, it's a deplorable what's going on in, uh, in the fact that we cannot secure our own borders. But we have people of Border Patrol trying to protect our border. Thank God for you. I appreciate you. We have, in our congregation, we have uh, police and deputy sheriffs that serve in, 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 uh, protecting us. And that way, if there's, a, there's, there's an accident, uh, there's an injury, there's a home invasion, there's a crime, they're here to protect us. Christians, and from our own church, that are serving. They're heroes. Thank, thank the Lord for them. In our own church, we also have some firefighters and some paramedics that if you do get injured, that they'll, they'll respond to your house or they'll respond to your accident and, and uh, they'll do their very best. They're trained to save your life. Praise the Lord for you. You're a hero. If you are taken to the hospital, I'm, th I'm so thankful that, that there are men and women who have been trained as doctors and nurses that can see a, a situation and, and uh, they don't get screamish putting an IV in you and that they can cut you and they, they can do surgery on you and, and, and they can save your life. That's a hero. Praise the Lord for that. But may I just tell you some heroes that we have in our own church. Beyond that, we have some moms and dads that will be a family. We have some moms and dads that will be an example. They'll be a hero to their children and their grandchildren. And I say praise the Lord for you. You're just as important as all of those other people I listed, if not more important. We need some heroes who will be moms and dads. John was a hero. How was he a hero? Where do I get that from? John the Baptist is a hero. We read that in verse number 7. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, Oh, generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. But I want you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Mark chapter number 6. Just to Matthew, Mark, turn over one book. I want you to see th this passage of Scripture I'm about to read uh, with your own eyes. It is in fascinating. I want to emphasize what happened in John the Baptist's life. Remember, he's the messenger. We're going to look at the Messiah. We'll look at the message in a couple weeks. But here's the messenger, Mark chapter 6. The lengthy passage of Scripture, but I want you to follow along in this story. Verse number 14, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. How in the world was John the Baptist's name spread abroad? Because he was making a difference. He was proclaiming the word of God. He was proclaiming that there's a Messiah coming. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Verse 15, Others said, That's Elias or Elijah. And others said, That is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said this, It is John whom I beheaded, he's risen from the dead. 
For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Boy, that's a messed up situation. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So John the Baptist boldly, as a hero, he went in and he said, King Herod, what you're about to do is wrong. Then we had verse number 19, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. We read verse 20 earlier, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man. How did he know that? Because he had observed him. He had watched him. He had, he had heard him come into his court and said that what he was doing was wrong. Verse 21, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod, on his birthday, he made a supper for his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, the, the, uh, the daughter, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. Now, folks, can you look up here for just a moment? I live in the year 2023. If you were to ask some 17, 18, 19-year-old girl, and uh, she has just made a, a, a performance for the king and all of his court, and the king is so moved by it, and he says, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. I can think of a whole bunch of things that a 16, 17, 18-year-old girl would ask, but not one of them would even enter her mind about what was uh, about to happen. Notice with me as we pick up here, verse 23, And he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou ask of me, I will give it to thee, uh, up unto the half of my king. He was so moved, he said, I'm willing to give away half of my wealth for what you just did. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? In other words, she didn't even know. Do I want makeup? Do I want a Ferrari? Do I want a boyfriend? What do you want me to ask, Mom? And her mom said, I want you to ask for the head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king, saying, I will that thou give me uh, by and by in a charger or a plate the head of John the Baptist. Now that is sick. Would you agree? That is sick, disgusting, perverted, twisted. And the king was exceedingly sorry, the Bible says. Yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he, in other words, he didn't want to look foolish in front of the court that was, that was surrounded him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it unto the damsel, and the damsel gave it unto his mother. Let me just say here, I said that we're looking for some heroes. We need some moms and dads. I just asked this question. Was this, was this mom a proper mom to her daughter? That's a disgusting example. But the daughter followed the example of her mother. And the daughter did exactly what the mother asked. Moms and dads, you have power, and uh, unlike you do not even understand how much power and influence you have in the lives of your children, and yet we have too many parents that are allowing the children to run the insane asylum rather than the parents. I'm begging you, moms and dads, to be parents and be heroes to your children. In this story, John the Baptist lost his life because of the ungodly example of this girl's mother. You see, John the Baptist told the leaders the truth about their lives, even if it meant jeopardizing his own life. And he understood that, uh, that 
even according to Old Testament prophecy, that there was a chance, there was a percentage that he would die if he told the truth. There's a man of yesteryear, his name was Ian Paisley, he said, I'm invincible until God is finished with me. I am invincible until God is finished with me. Now, Christian, you are invincible until God is finished with you. And if you will live right, you will live holy, and you will live with humility, and you will live with some hardiness, and you will live as a hero to your children and to other Christians. You are invincible. Nothing can touch you. The devil cannot touch you until God is finished with you. Someone said this, right is right even if everyone is against it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone is for it. Let me give you the last character trait. John was a man of honor. John was a man of honor. The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. In Matthew chapter 11, the Bible says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. May I just tell you, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke so highly of John. He had the greatest commendation ever. And I hope that in my life, I hope that in your life, uh, that, I, that <coughs> this would be your testimony. I'd rather have heaven's smile than man's applause. I'd rather have God's favor than man's accolades. The God of heaven commended John the Baptist. I just wonder... Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And so Jesus has gone back to heaven. I wonder what kind of place he prepared for John the Baptist. I'm going to tell you that John the Baptist is going to have some pretty sweet digs in heaven. And maybe we could go and hang out on his porch because our our little mansion or dwelling place that God's preparing for us is going to be the size of John the Baptist's porch. I'm just saying that John the Baptist... He gave his life to serve Jesus. And it cost him his physical life, but may I tell you this, it did not cost him his spiritual life. And today, he is in a much better place, and he is for all of eternity. So John's life teaches us three valuable, indispensable lessons, and then I'll be finished. Here's lesson number one. God does not guarantee an easy or safe life upon earth to those who serve him. God does not guarantee an easy or a safe life upon earth to those uh, who serve him. God does not. So, So if you're here today and you hear the gospel message for the first time, you're hearing about Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being here. You're visiting with us. I've already met several visitors. Thank you for being here. But the reason we have church is to serve Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his life for me. There is no religion. There is no denomination. There is no cult. There is nothing that supersedes the fact that Jesus Christ is the only reason I should have my eyes on heaven and have my eyes on a future is because that he died for my sins. There's no amount of rosary beads. There's no amount of Hail Marys. There's no amount of indulgences. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of baptisms that I can go through apart from me simply saying, God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Will you be my Lord and Savior? That's it. John the Baptist did that. But just because I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, nowhere in all of Scripture does it guarantee that I'll have an easy life. But I will have a blessed life. Number two, doing what God desires is the greatest possible life investment. 
Doing what God desires is the greatest possible life investment. In our own congregation, I am so thankful for the diversity. Pastor Abel and I were talking about it this morning in my office before men's prayer meeting. We were talking about how multinational and multi-ethnic that our congregations have began have become. And we began uh, counting all the different countries, and I believe we got up to 13 or 14 countries of people that were born uh, in other countries that are now part of our church. I'm thankful for that. And by the way, I, I am not ashamed that I'm a white man. No matter what society tells me that I have to be ashamed. I'm not ashamed that I'm a white man. But you know what I am proud of? I'm proud of that, that, we, have, that we have Asian people and we have uh, people from Africa. And I'm thankful that we have people who are Hispanic. They're all part of our church family. And I'm no more important, to, uh, no more important than they are. And they're not more important than I am. Uh, the, uh, the Bible, uh, uh, someone said this about the Bible. The, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's for all men and women, boys and girls to come. But let me just say this. When I look at, at that God, what, doing what God uh, uh, desires is the greatest possible investment in life, I look around our congregation, I see we have all kinds. We have people that are poor that are literally, uh, they can't wait to come to the per- picnic. I'm not trying to be funny. They can't wait to come to the picnic because that's going to be a good meal for them today. And you come and you enjoy. And there's going to be other people that come and say, that's what we're eating? Literally, that's going to happen. And they're going to put their nose up in the air and, and scrunch up their face. That's what we're having? I don't want potato chips. I want hot dogs. You mean there's no relish for the hot dogs? There'll be people like that, and there'll be other people that say, man, can I have seconds? That's in our church congregation today. And in our church congregation, we have those that, 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 that do not know how they're going to pay their rent for July. It's already July, and almost all rental agreements, July 5th is the, is the cutoff, and then July 6th you have all these uh, uh, penalties, and you say, I, I'm praying in the money. But then there's other people in our congregation, that is not even something that you worry about. God has abundantly blessed you, and so you have money in the bank, and, um, and, and praise the Lord that he's blessed you. Amen? We, ha- we have to have both in our church to be a healthy church. But please listen. The fact that you're poor or the fact that you are the richest one percenters in our congregation, neither one excuses you from serving Jesus. Neither one. The greatest investment you can make in your life as a poor person, not sure where your next meal is going to come from, is to love Jesus and serve Jesus. The greatest, in- greatest investment that you can make with all your money is to turn around and use it for Jesus. To influence the future. Neither person, and by the way, no one, all the other people that's in between those, no one is excused from serving Jesus. Every one of us. The greatest thing you can do with your life, like John the Baptist, is invest your life for Jesus. And third and finally, standing for truth is more important than standing than life itself. Standing for truth is more important than life itself. Standing for truth is more important than life itself. Now I realize that finishes up. I already hear people close up. Here, quickly, close up, and then I'll be done. All right. You got, you got the last fill in the blank. Here we go. This church must stand for truth. And that means that in the face of this Independence Day weekend, 
Praise God, we're in July and we're out of June. And I'm sick of the fact that we spend one day celebrating our country that was founded on the truths and principles of God's Word, and we spend 30 days celebrating a lifestyle that's wicked and perverse. But that's the society we live in. And I'm here to say as the pastor of the church, and by the way, I, I guess you could pull an insurrection and vote me out or get rid of me. It would cause this church to go into all kinds of chaos. But this pastor, as best as he can, is going to stand for truth. And we, we're going to follow. The, uh, standing for truth is more important than my life. John the Baptist illustrated that. He lost his life, but he got a better life because he stood for truth. And you know what? We're still talking about John the Baptist 2,000 years later. In churches all across this country, John the Baptist will have been mentioned. All across this world, the example of John the Baptist will have been mentioned. He was a man that was guided by truth. Oh, he was a man of hardiness. We need some, we need some godly men and women. He was a man of honesty. We need godly men and women of honesty. And he was a man of humility, and we need some men and women who will have a humble spirit. And he was a man of holiness. In other words, living for God was important to him. And he was a man of hustle. There was no laziness in him. He was a hardworking man. We need some men and women that will get off, uh, uh, get off uh, the, their backside and go to work and make some things happen in their life. And we need some hero mom and dads. Unlike the mother, that for all of history it's recorded that she requested her daughter to have someone's head cut off. We need some moms and dads that will be heroes to their children with a godly life example. And we need some men and women of honor that understand that there is something called truth. And investing my life for Jesus Christ makes all of the difference.